0: I'm sorry.
1: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, August the 16th, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We're out there. We're on it. If you want to interact with me personally, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at... TalkingMetsPodcast dot Well, welcome in everybody to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Here on this pretty gloomy and dreary Sunday, pretty appropriate after the three game series in Philadelphia, the Mets just uh, just about twenty minutes or so ago having been swept by the Phillies in the three game set. Former Met Zach Wheeler putting the cap on the series with the sweep, and uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of gloom and doom on various uh, social media outlets that. Mets fans will frequent. Uh, today, though, what we're going to focus on here in the podcast, and joining me, you guys know him. He used to be the beat writer for The Record, uh, covering the Mets. He was also part of the Yahoo Sports Venture that covered the Mets last year. He's now uh, with NBC Sports Regional Network, my team's app. He knows the Mets. has uh, covered the team for a long time, and he and I like to uh, have some fun debate on Twitter. Matty e. Holt will be joining me in just a couple of minutes. We actually had a chance to catch up right before the Mets took on the Phillies this afternoon, so uh, I had a chance to talk to Matt, oh, about two hours or so before the game, so just keep that in mind when uh, we go to break and we come back. It was a conversation from earlier today. So, where do I stand? I I mean, nothing really, in my opinion, has changed about this team and my thoughts. You know, we talked a lot about it. We had two podcasts this week with the emergency podcast over the Stroman opt-out with a team who's pitching now employs a four or five starter as as a core top of the rotation starter in Porcello, and options six, seven, eight becoming options three, four, five. Uh, this is the kind of stuff you're going to see. You're going to see uh, uh, losing streaks spiral. Uh, you're going to see them play well and tease you, and you're going to see them uh, not play well and get you down like this weekend. And I think you saw a little bit of both of that throughout this week. Uh, this is a 500 team. I said that earlier in the week. The starting pitching is not good enough to be more than that, and and I think that's kind of what you're looking at. Uh, and and if they don't hit at a high level, uh, and if, and if God forbid they have a bad bullpen game, it makes things even that harder for them. So, nothing more, nothing less. You know, and and in a, in a league that's going to see 50 percent of the teams make the playoffs. Uh, I'm not going to get here, you know, sit here and get crazy about results. Uh, I I've felt like this season's more about as we've talked about a lot, what can we find out about players? What can we find out about next year while still trying to have some fun and win? I mean, that's that's a far cry. I know that you guys are saying I'm all about winning and you know, I'll get into that with E Holt, and I am, but I have a hard time taking the results in a 60-game season as far as a team and winning and and making the playoffs the same as if it was a normal year. But I mean, some of the things you've seen this week, there is positives to be had on the positional player's side because it's very clear that this team has to go out and remake this starting rotation at, at the end of the year. They have to figure out, uh, Do the, you know, Kilame was brought up. Frankly, Kilame was brought up earlier uh, in the day. I'm, I'm assuming he'll get a start this week. I heard Kevin Smith was down in the alternate site in Brooklyn p- pitching in a sim game. Maybe he gets a start before the year is out. Do any of these young arms have the ability to be a number 4 or number 5 or better? So you know going into the offseason, no matter what happens the rest of the 60-game season, the Mets are going to need to figure out their pitching staff. They're going to need to to potentially sign Strowman back. They're going to have to re-sign him. Or go out and get more pitching, whether that be by a trade or through the free agent market. It's too early really to see how that plays out. But in order to do that, you need to have other aspects of your team settled. I think they've figured out the bullpen a little bit. Uh, I think that you can figure out a bullpen. I think that you have to be open for that being a, a change year in and year out to some different arms doing the same thing, uh, interchangeable parts. But on the offensive side, I I have felt and I have said that, and this is maybe sounds like a broken record, that this team is now going to be built on positional players which give you more certainty than pitchers that are volatile and injury-prone. So what you've seen so far is you've seen Luis Guillerme, Dom Smith, Andres Jimenez, and Thomas Nito all take part in some good moments throughout the last week. Now, I'm not sold on Dom Smith. I know he's emerging. I know he seems to be a fan favorite. Sometimes I think he has the backup quarterback syndrome going in on him because, you know, he was the backup first baseman he was really good in a small sample size off the bench earlier last year before he got hurt. And this, in, in a, that great home run that put a cap on the 2019 season, I think fans really get a, a good feel of him because of that. He's a great teammate. He has a lot of energy on the bench. All those things are important. But let me just throw a little cold water. You no, know, He's had a great week. He's had a nice run with the four home runs and you know four games in a row and what have you. But when he was a full-time player last year, which is basically June and July, before he got hurt, he, had a, he was a 237 hitter, he had an OPS of 777 and an on-base percentage below 300. Those are not great numbers for a full-time player. Those are not great numbers. So let's not anoint Dom Smith. It's, he has every right to get an opportunity to play, whether it be as a DH, spotting Alonzo at first, whatever you want to do. I have no problem with giving him all those at-bats for the rest of the year now that Cespedes is gone. But I'm not ready to throw Alonso off the island because he's in a slump. Alonso's a young guy. He's uh, never had a slump like this before. Did you think his career was going to be bliss like last year? I mean, it, it was it was amazing how he had a charmed life last year. And even if you go back to 2018 when he had his final minor league season and he emerged, I mean, he had a great season. It's It's been a couple of years before Alonso had any kind of adversity. This is the first adversity he's going to face as a big leaguer. And let's see how he handles it, and he was benched today. So uh, Dom versus Alonzo is not a bad thing as long as they don't make it bad. Maybe Alonzo uh, needs a little push, and Dominic Smith is certainly doing that. And for Dominic Smith, the more versatility, the more he can play the outfield, play left field. He has the DH option. Hopefully the National League and Major League Baseball smarten up. And if there's one good thing that comes out of this crazy, stupid uh, pandemic season is that they institute the DH full-time going forward, I think it makes the games that much better. I think it makes pitching much more simpler, especially in a bullpen era, especially an era where, you know what, uh, you might have to have bullpen games and you can't be going out there worried about pinch hitters and double switching and all the things that come with uh, the pitcher batting ninth and and what have you. Or God forbid relievers going out there hitting, getting hurt and, and what have you. You don't need any more injuries than you have. Now, one of the other things that comes into play here is that Cano is hitting like the Hall of Fame second baseman that he is. And the DH will help, obviously, in that situation. But you also have to think about what is the best and most balanced Mets lineup. And also, what is the most realistic lineup in the course of building an affordable team, regardless of the fact that new owners are coming in. And you really have to take a long look at Nito, Jimenez, and Guillerme because they are young, they are controllable, they are affordable, and they provide you a little bit more balance because they are good on the other side of the ball, which the Mets have historically not been good at for quite some time, and that's on defense. Now, Guillorme, out of the three, is the one that you would not have even thought about because Nito was a backup catcher. You never thought about him being—you know—he was highly rated. So there was a time where maybe he was the catcher of the future. Jimenez, it wasn't—he was a top prospect, but he wasn't someone that you'd figure you'd be talking about this year. Now, Guillorme is a guy that hasn't really hit in the big league level. Uh, he's hitting very well now. I mean, he's not going to hit with an OPS over 1,000. That's not his game. But if you go back and look at his minor league numbers, not even with Vegas, with Syracuse last year, he was a guy that hit over 300 in the minor leagues in Syracuse, uh, had an on-base percentage uh, over 350, very good defensively. He's a very interesting piece up the middle and and can be, uh, uh, you know, you, you look at him with, The second half in a very small sample size last year. He had an 860 OPS or so. Had a big hit against the Nationals last year. He was a good offensive player, a very useful piece on that Mets team in the second half of last year. Now, you're going to give him more time to play, and it looks like with Rojas as the manager, who's familiar with him, he may get more leash than you'd expect. Putting Cano at the DH spot to save his legs. You have to keep Cano healthy. You have to do that, and the DH is the way to do that. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of Guillarme. I think he's going to make it uh, an interesting debate whether you need to go with him up the middle. Uh, jimenez Guillarme up the middle changes the Mets' defense uh, dramatically. Changes with Nito behind the plate. Look, I I was critical of Nitto because Thomas Nito was not a great offensive player. He was like a pitcher up there. And at times I felt he didn't live up to the billing defensively. But if you look at the metrics, he's a good framer. I think he's certainly the best defensive catcher they have on the roster, and he's better than what they've had with uh, Wilson Ramos and Plowicki, and even Darno when Darno was here. So, if you put, if you're not going to go out and sign a JT Realmuto, which is the only kind of catcher, now it's not a shoo-in with that kind of signing. He's going to be 30 years old. He's a guy that anytime you sign a catcher, look at Piazza how he declined in the back half of his contract as you sign a catcher, you know you're going to be signing maybe for some bad years on the back end, and you may have to overpay uh, depending on how the bidding goes. You might have to throw an extra year or some dollars to get him to come to your uh, your team. So that, there's no shooing over there. Now, Real Muto may be able to play some other positions to keep fresh. I know he's a first baseman at times, but he's a catcher, and he has great leadership qualities. He's a gamer. He's, he's the kind of guy you need. That's the kind of upgrade if Nito is a league average catcher and he gives you the kind of framing you want, and he continues to improve and be uh, more towards the uh, positive on the defense, if you're not going to go out and get Real Muto, well, maybe then you go with the Nito up behind the plate because it's so, and I continue to say this, you have the offense with J.D. Davis at third and Pete Alonso at first, and you have McNeil, depending on where in the field he plays, and Nimmo and Conforto. Um, you have offense on this team. And if Guillerme is going to give you the kind of offense where at least he's going to be an on base guy, has a little bit of pop, hits, you know, 280 to 300, that's more than enough up the middle. That up the middle defense, if you put Jimenez, and I know we've not even talked about Rosario because that's the guy that's the odd man out in all this stuff. And not because of Canal, because right now, um, you know, Jimenez is either going to be your second baseman or your shortstop. I don't think he profiles a third. He's, he's not going to hit for enough power to be a third baseman. And I think J.D. Davis, that's his shot. If J.D. Davis is going to be an everyday player and, and, and continue to show elite offensive skills, third base is probably going to be his position if he's not a D.H. D.H. with the Mets in the National League or gets traded to the American League. So um, I think these kids, with Jimenez being kind of the spark on all this because he showed you what his uh, poise at the plate and his, and his speed and his defense and athleticism, what the difference it can be for this team. Now, they're not winning. So I know what you could say. Well, you know, Mike, what are you talking about here? They're not winning. But you have to see how this comes together. I think going into this season, the way it was cut off because of the pandemic, now coming back, you almost have to use this as extended spring training. You really do. I know that if the Mets were 14-9, and I'd be talking differently. But I even told you this. I told you this from the start. The wins and the losses were going to be a byproduct of you making sure that whatever you did this year, it had the goal and the mindset of bleeding into next year. Because that, to me, is what this is about. Winning in a 60-game season just doesn't have the same panache. Winning is important no matter what. And they have to continue to push and they have to continue to win. And I know that there's some people freaking out. We'll talk to Matty Holt about this, about now they brought up Matthew Allen and Francisco Alvarez. They're a couple of top prospects to Brooklyn to play in the sim games over at the alternate site. And and they could be traded now. I, I, I don't see a scenario. With the trade deadline coming up in just two weeks, already two weeks, seems like the season started yesterday. With the trade deadline coming up in two weeks, I don't see the Mets... Uh, going for it. I don't see anybody making any deals unless they're really looking to dump somebody and that per- player is is willing to be dumped and, and upheaval their life for the last 30 days of the season. Um, I don't see a lot happening. I think you're going to just go with what you go with. You're going to sign veterans if they're out there. You're going to work with your alternate site players. That's what this season's about. It's a uh, it's a fantasy baseball league without trading. Let's, let's put it that way. I think that's what it's going to be about. But really, I think... You re, we have to look at balancing this lineup lineup out because you can you can continue to build the bullpen. I think the bullpen can be figured out. But if you have this lineup, a good balance of offense and defense with some young controllable players, it will make Brody Van Wagenen's job, the new owner's job, so much easier this offseason because I don't care if the U.S. Federal Reserve comes in with all the money in the world to own the team. You got to go out there and there has to be a market where you want to give somebody that kind of money. And other than Stroman and Bauer, I went through that list. I went through it very quickly with you guys, and that's not something we'll do today. There's not a lot out there. And guess what? Bauer, I mean, you've seen him on Twitter. He is not a good fit for the New York media. Good pitcher, respect a lot, love his transparency and his ability not to be a phony and to be himself. But, oh boy, in New York, that'd be crazy, I think, with that whole situation. So really what you're looking at is a continuous uh, thought process of what players can you put in there? that will give you an opportunity to uh, win now as much as you can and be a contributor in 2021. Brian Dozier doesn't do that. He's off the roster. I know there's a big deal about Drew Smith getting designated, but, you know, that's a whole nother story. He'll be back. Uh, that, was 40, that was roster move uh, games. That wasn't, you know, because of performance. That's as much part of the game, you know, who has options. You guys know that as anything else. So, anyway... Are the Mets in the right direction? Are they in the wrong direction? What can we glean from a lot of what's going on? I'm sure we'll debate Brody Van Wagenen because he's a big part of all this because he's making the decisions. And I believe even if a new owner comes in tomorrow and there will be an owner by the the fall, he should continue to get an opportunity to push forward. There's a lot of good going on here, and we'll talk more about that. So Matty Holt, former beat writer for the Mets for the record, Yahoo Sports, NBC Sports Regional Network, my team's app. He's going to come into the ring here. And join the Talking Mets podcast and chat me, with me a little bit about his thoughts on the New York Mets. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with more right after this. Being in the big leagues is hard work. What is one of the fun aspects of the job? Jay Horwitz, longtime PR director for the Mets, gave us some
2: insight. Like A, a guy like Gerald Boston, the English I've ever worked with, he's a, he's a coach now with the White Sox, and like in the early 90s, we had a kangaroo court in the locker room. My glad he did he used to put on these long robes and in long b- b- hair and robes and he always included me, you know, he managed to find me for something to make sure I was part of the group. We, every three or four weeks we have these court sessions, the locker room would shut down and Dow would be presiding. He would find me for getting too many guys for interviews for for uh, you know, he would include these things like um, they would buy me, uh, you know, when Brett Staheberhang was on the team, they, they, we had to take one year with San Francisco. Everybody had a shave your head, uh, you know, and, and we, we couldn't get a hair. We have to shave your head, uh, you know, to have union, He included me in that kind of a thing. So guys like that, made me feel part of the group and, uh, that was the fun part of the job.
1: Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. And joining me, Matty Holt. you guys know him, uh, formerly of the record, Yahoo Sports, now the digital editor over at NBC Sports Regional Network, my team's app. Uh, joining us just a couple hours away from the final game of the three-game set out in Philadelphia, former Met Zach Wheeler taking the mound, obviously weather pending. Matt, pleasure to have you on. Now, I don't know if you know this, Matt, being that you're a big fan of the Talking Mets podcast. When I transitioned from traditional radio traditional radio to this podcast, you were the first ever guest on the show. I don't know if you realized that back in 2016. So you're back. I know you've been on a couple of times. So knowing that you're a big fan of the podcast, welcome back, my friend. How are you?
0: Oh, thank you for having me, Mike.
1: I'm Matt, doing well. How are you doing today? Good. I I can't complain. So give us the state of the Mets. Give us your state of the Mets. Third of the way in, kind of bring the synopsis. Obviously a wacky season, um, hard to evaluate. A lot of teams going through a lot of stuff right now. So give us your you know state of the union here. If we want to kick it off on that point.
0: Well, I don't think it's good so far. I mean, you, you know the old Bill Parcells adage: You you are what your record says you are at nine and thirteen. I don't think things are going the way they expected. Um, they've had some unexpected things. Uh, I mean, you can't imagine Stroman was going to opt out. So that's a little bit of a tough blow. But on the other hand, the Waka injury, Waka was a little bit of an injury prone, uh, type of guy, um, David Peterson has been great so far. So I think that's a positive for them. Uh Dom Smith is hitting the ball like an MVP right now, so that's a positive. Uh Wilson Ramos just contributing nothing. I say they imagine that. So I think it's kind of been a, a mixed bag for them. Um I, I think the one saving grace for the Mets is if you look right now, the division isn't all that strong. Atlanta has problems. Uh you know, Cunha and Albies are both out. Uh Soroka's out. So I mean you just took three of their four best players, uh, you know, along with Freeman probably are out right now uh Phillies are having bullpen issues uh they can't hold the lead and the Nationals I mean the, you know they lose Strasburg they just lost Castro they have lineup issues so I, I mean it, it, the saving grace of the Methods. I don't think you have to be particularly that good this year to get either the second spot in the NL East or to get one of the top eight seeds I, I mean to be honest if you can't you're not one of the eight out of 15 best teams with a couple of teams in the NL that are tanking the way they are. I mean, you know, that, that's kind of hard to do
1: now. I gotta be honest. I mean, anybody tanking this year, it's almost ridiculous to tank this year. I mean, Marlins, technically you could say, I mean, they added a few pieces. I mean, are you and anywhere supporting anybody tanking because I think anybody can make the playoffs. Does it mean a lot? I mean, look, I don't know what a championship in this season means, but uh, to me, you're right. You know, when you look at the way the season's going hard to to like or dislike a lot of, of 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 how this setup is um but you i'm almost surprised the teams are tanking now because the marlins are going to have a good chance to make the playoffs because they got off to a hard, hard you know a pretty hot start
0: well when i say tanking, mike i mean the the sense of a team that really wasn't built to to compete right like let, let's look for example right. at um i'll, I'll bring up Uh, the Rockies, for example. So the Rockies got off to a great start, but I think they've lost, I think they've lost like four or five or something like that, right? Like, so they're off to a good start, but when I say a, a tanky team, like the Rockies aren't really built to contend. So yes, they're winning some games now. And hey, maybe those 11 wins, they can somehow get to 30 and they can sneak in. But I'm, I'm looking more at the way the roster is constructed. Like when you look at this Rocky's team, they weren't going to keep up that level of play. So that that's more of, uh, you know, when I bring up the teams that are tanking here. Um, that is, that is what I mean. Now, let me let me ask you this. Now, this is a question I have for mm-hmm. you because this is something I'm sure, sure uh, uh par- part of the reason I'm, I know you're having me on today is we have certainly had our fair share of Twitter discussions. Sure. So, I'm That's curious on this, uh, and I feel we can have a, a, a good, fair debate back and forth. You have made it quite clear you are against rebuilds and tanking and stuff like that. So, let uh, here. What is your objection? Lay it out for me. Two teams that take the path of trying to rebuild, looking at the long term and saying, hey, you know what? We're probably not going to be all that competitive for the next few years. Let's try and build it through draft breaks. Let's try and do it the right way. Why what is your major objection to looking at teams through that lens?
1: There's nothing wrong with doing that, but I think there's and I'll give you an example with Miami. Look at it, just adding a few veterans. How much more viable that team is now in a 162-game season. Do they go from, you know, 108 losses, uh, you know, to 500? No, but they're competitive. And I think there has to be an end game to these rebuilds. And sometimes they feel they're perpetual. Um, they're on and on and on. The only thing that comes out of it is you keep the fans on the hook because you can market them and you can market the prospects and the owners save money. I mean, let's face it, Matt. When you get the payroll down to 40, 50 million bucks, the owner's saying to himself, "Well, you know, if I'm going I'm to lose anyway, let me let me make a little bit, you know, more with uh, you know, by you know, saving on the payroll." And to me, that's damaging the game. Um, I don't think you have to do it because in a league where now you may even have more playoff teams going forward, you could sneak in. Uh, baseball's become a tournament. What's the harm in a 75-win team rebuilding and also competing? In a lot of ways, I think you're seeing that with the Mets, and I think you criticized Brody Van Wagenen. He's not – he's competing. He's not doing it, in my opinion. I know you could talk about the Kelnick trade irresponsibly. And by the way, the last two years, and if you believe Baseball America, if you buy into that – They've actually, their farm system's the same, if not better, than it was when Sandy Alderson left. So he's showing that, you know, you, you know, a lot of people felt the match should tear down and rebuild. Imagine where you'd be now, ownership situation changing, a team that would have been going nowhere. Uh, you know, forget pandemic. You wouldn't be drawing flies to that stadium. And it's about entertainment and winning. And now post-pandemic, when and if people are allowed back into the stadium, and eventually I'm sure they will, you got to give fans a reason to show up. You can't market baseball america that 's my issue, I think you could do both, and that 's where I think the the failure in, in a lot of the thinking has been
0: I will give you this that the state of baseball right now there is something to be said for the way that teams and fan bases accept prospect rankings i mean i I can speak to i mean you know i'm I'm in my thirties here uh low thirties you know i don't want to make myself sound too old uh, for my own sanity here but um, You know, when I grew up watching the game in the 90s, I don't remember prospect rankings being a huge thing. It just wasn't. Maybe you heard of uh, a big prospect on the way. Maybe you heard of, like, a guy like Reyes. But there was not this infatuation with who was the number 18 prospect. Like, I'll I'll bring up a guy. Now, you know I did not think the Mets handled it correctly. But, for example, in in the early 2000s, nobody would have known who a Jordan Humphreys was. Nobody would have known the number 15 pitcher in A-ball. Right. The game has changed in the way that the fans and stuff do look at the prospect ranking. Now, if you want to call that prospect hugging or whatever, there is a difference where people put such a value um, on the prospects. Now, having said that, I, the one point I do agree with you on, I will give you this, is you don't win championships. There is no Baseball America championship, and I don't say it in any way derogatory about Baseball America. They do fantastic work. I'm just talking about there is no, like, banner hung for top farm system. But right. I do think that the farm system in building a healthy and one that can consistently turn out major leaguers is something um, that teams need to have now to kind of uh, a rebuttal to your point before you brought up the the difference in the farm systems now we both know here farm systems are cyclical right in the sense that usually when teams are contending the farm system dips a little bit i mean it's hard when you have lesser picks and stuff so the the trying to compare two kind of draft classes and stuff where uh like a, a farm system ranks that stuff tends to vary. You know, the Mets have drafted very well. I mean, I don't think this has ever been a thing of the Mets. I mean, if you look at, and I tweeted this last night, if you kind of look at the, the since the the Alderson regime uh, took over, and we'll, and we'll just use that because if you go beyond that, then you start getting it, you know, like if you go back to an old market, we're starting to get into, you know, uh, the, 12 you know 15 years ago if you kind of look at the last 11 years the Mets have drafted very well that's the one thing you can kind of put up their drafts against anybody during that time so the the whole thing on the draft class um I think is it it tends to go in cycles and the Mets have had some better picks recently in, in some years because they've had some down years so sometimes I look at the the whole thing about well the the farm system has improved a little bit under Brody it's like well that can also be a little bit cyclical and also you can make the argument, well, if they had not traded some of those guys. And at the same point, the Mets did graduate a decent amount of guys. I mean, if you look at it recently in the last few years, they graduated a Rosario. Now I know Rosario's not hitting, but he was a top five prospect at one time. Rosario, Dom Smith, McNeil, some of those guys. So, you know, the whole nature of the farm system debate, um, as long as you have guys in place who are good drafters, which the Mets do, Ultimately, I think, like, what they are ranked year to year is not a huge deal,
1: personally. And what drove me not, I mean, there's nothing what you say is wrong. What I think I have a problem with is I almost felt, especially after the Stroman deal, they were shamed into, well, you're contending? How dare you? And I look at the guys they gave up. All right, Simeon Woods-Richardson, I mean, maybe in three years, maybe. I mean, this year of lost development, which nobody could have predicted, is going to kill some players. You, you're not going to get – whether you're at the alternate site or you're sitting home throwing in a park, it's hurting you. I'm sorry. Not having minor league uh, time has got to hurt you. Uh, we oh, it's going to hurt everybody. Uh, no,
0: you're 100% right on that. Guys Guys not being able to right. contend across every organization. And, and, and you know, hey, like the, I, you know, yesterday the Mets promoted those two guys. Yeah, they, I mean that that's a good thing to do to get those guys, but, but that's not going to ultimately – matter that like losing a whole year of playing games, constantly being at the stadium, like every prospect out th- is going to feel that this year. Cause it's just not the same, just playing on the backfield,
1: uh, you know, against your teammates every day. But then I see guys, Rick Hahn never wins anything, perpetually rebuilding Jed Hoyer uh, praised, fired in Arizona, Klentek. I don't really see what's so special about the Phillies. Heim bloom. You think the Mets passed up on, uh, you know, rich branch Ricky. Um, I mean, he's not really running things in Boston. I mean, the Mets needed a GM, you know, you know what the ownership situation, they needed someone who, whether you like the guy or not, you needed somebody to run the organization. That's not what Hein Bloom, a very young guy with very little experience uh, outside of, you know, player development. That's not what they needed. So what I don't understand is they criticize the Mets, they criticize the GM. A lot of it is because he's a former agent. We know that agents are looked at as a sleazy salesman. Um, but I look at the sleazy salesmen as those who are doing these marketing rebuilds, and I'll blame the owners because if I owned a team, I'd say, "How can you rebuild and do all the things you're telling me to do? And can we try to win?" And I don't understand. And maybe it's because of the NBA and the NFL, and like you said, now people look at prospect lists. These guys, Jordan Humphreys and and and, uh, and Blake Taylor, you know, I know he's starting off well in Houston. While they were coming up, I've heard I heard about Blake Taylor I, when I when he first was traded. I was like, wow. We've been talking about this guy. He was traded for Ike Davis. Ike Davis seems like eons ago. You never know when these guys are going to be ready. And I think that's the mindset. Everybody thinks they're going well, to work out because the ranking says they're going to work out or because the analytics says they're going to work out. And we're losing perspective on how hard it is to make the big leagues. And, and, and guys that we don't even think about, like Seth Lugo, Seth Lugo was never talked about. When Seth Lugo got brought up, I I believe you were covering the Mets at that time for the record, you probably thought he was going to be there for like 10 days until somebody got sent back down, and now look where he is. So I think that's where it is. It's the context, and we continue to act like we know, and and there's this one pathway to winning. One team has tanked their way to winning. That's Houston, and they had to do it because if you – and I'm sure you have – if you looked at their financial situation, they weren't even being broadcast on television. The Cubs didn't do what the Astros did. They held back, but they were in a much different p- position with Wrigley Field. Uh, the the Cubs, act like this has been done. It's, it's been done once, and they got lucky. The, the Cubs, and maybe they were aided, it, aided a little bit the, by it.
0: Let's the, the Cubs tanked, Mike. I mean, maybe they didn't go to the level that the the Astros did, where the Astros were like
1: they were in purgatory. Like were in pur- Mets were in purgatory because of finances. The Cubs were in purgatory because they decided the Ricketts family decided. What's the point of competing while I'm winning? I mean, that's if you look, they weren't that bad. They weren't astros level bad and they had really no the astros field, astros took it to a different
0: level yes i yes that is correct all
1: right all right but, but, lost, but lost 96 in 2013 but i bet you with a little bit of effort they could have gotten to the mid-70s with those teams just by signing some veterans and would it, here, it would have made a difference would chris bryant not they, be there all right maybe you know but
0: but here he all right so We have a lot of things to unfold within that. Um, So so I'll start. First of all, all the GMs you kind of mentioned, right? Like, let's go through it. Clintech has not done really a good job at Philly. And to be honest, if they don't make the playoffs this year, hard to see how he's going to stay there, especially um, if he ended up in 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 Granted. I should say you don't. we don't know how much of a role ownership plays in this because we don't know what happened behind closed doors. But if they lose Ria Muto uh, or if he hits free agency, if they miss the playoffs and he hits free agency, I mean, he doesn't have a very uh,
1: great sell. Ria Muto's going to so be with the Mets next year. I mean, that's, that's fait accompli, Ria Muto being with the Mets. His former agent's going to sign him and he's going to be in the Mets and he'll be behind the plate with the new ownership group. I, I saw you think that's all Brody, not the new owner? <laughs> Well money plays into it, but it helps when you have a relationship. See, it helps when your GM and I'm interrupting you and I apologize. Uh, it helps when the agent has relationships with the players and, and has a good standing with the Players Association. But, but uh, that's a different story. We'll get to that. Finish your point. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. I had to make a snarky comment. That's,
0: uh, no, no, no. no. I, 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 And I do, I, I mean, listen, I will I will give you this. I disagree on who should get the credit on it, but Riamuto is the guy I always thought if he hits it. Brody does love that. does love JT. Uh, he would make a ton of sense for the Mets. Now the only thing that would be a concern there is signing a 30-year-old catcher to a deal that he he wants for a long-term could, may not, especially for a guy who's as much of a warrior as JT doesn't play every day. You know, there might be some long-term things there uh, that you just worry about paying a catcher deep into his 30s. But um, so let, we go, so you brought up him. All right. Um, you brought up Hoyer. I mean, Hoyer's not really fair to compare those guys. He did win a championship. So like, like I, I feel like he's a different one, but okay. But you bring you brought up time Bloom right? All right. So l- l- let's look at Heim Bloom because this, I think he, he's a perfect example of, I guess, where you and I differentiate on this. So time Bloom in, takes over in Boston, this Boston roster is not good. So, and this kind of gets into where I think you talk about going for it or not going. So if you're Hein Bloom and you're basically told by ownership you have to get rid of Mookie, I mean let's be honest, Hein Bloom was not going in there saying like, oh, I'm going to trade Mookie back. Like no, no GM wants to trade Mookie back. It's clear ownership told them to. So in Hein Bloom's case, you look at that division right now. The Rays are ready to win. The Yankees are loaded. The Jays are on their way up. Um, the Orioles stink. So. What's the upside for Boston right now that they're going to finish third if everything breaks right? Like, like maybe somehow they steal second. So w- I look at it like if you're if you've got a team like Hein Bloom, I think nothing is wrong with saying, "Hey, listen, we're not going to be better than the Yankees for a few years. We're probably not going to be better than the Rays in the short term. The Jays are coming." Why not rebuild this? Why not do it properly? Take it the slow method at a time when what's the what's the big deal in finishing 81 and 81 or finishing 75 and, and 87? That so if you look at it and say, if we want long-term viable success, we need to properly analyze. Now the reason I tie that in is because you brought up before the Marcus Stroman trade. Now I have said this, so this is a, you know a point. Of all the trades Brody has made, um, of the ones that have like backfire, because you know, like I'm not going to get into like the JD Davis trade worked out. I criticized that at the time. It has worked out. That is the one uh, Brody deserves credit for. They they did a very nice job. But let's look at the Stroman trade in itself. The Stroman trade, if you break it down in terms of what the Mets gave up versus what they got, is a fine trade on a baseball level, right? Like they gave up um, Mm -hmm. a back end starter with. With years of control, who you know hadn't made his major league debut, and they gave up a young prospect in, in uh, um, you know, like a ball. Now, I know you got on me on Twitter the other day for not knowing Woods Richardson. I knew who Woods Richardson was. I had heard very. I, good was, things pra- about I him. was being. I I, I, know. I I understand. I didn't take it that that seriously. I'm just joking here. Sometimes
1: um, people have to realize in 100 what 255 characters, context and nuance is lost. Let's put it that way. I think we we forget we forget that. But go ahead.
0: Uh, so anyway. If you look at, so you look at what they gave up. In a baseball sense, I thought the, the move itself was fine. Where this is, And this is where, and I'm sure the, this is the big talking point people want to hear me and you ultimately go back and forth on, where I look at the stuff Brody does and where I question him is, I do not believe that the Mets were in a position to basically last year look at that team where it was and for as great as they were playing cuz I remember I was in Chicago uh or no it was an off day when they traded or maybe maybe they were playing I forget I remember I was at no, home
1: I think I think it was at the Cubs series that Sunday game where they had blown maybe when Lugo blew the save I, it's it's around that time. no 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 cuz that was in that was in June that was in June. That was after the Callaway had the meltdown, right? So no, no, they got of...
0: they got Strowman. I remember I was at my apartment, and then he joined the team in Sunday Chicago. Game.
1: It was definitely a Sunday after a Met game. I know that. I that sounds
0: meetings. about right because then they played in Chicago. Yes, because I flew out to Chicago on a Monday night, and then they played Chicago. I think Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I think they went to Pittsburgh. Right, so off. it was a, I, it was I, like right. a Sunday they they played somebody. Um, my thing was I did not look at the Mets as a team that that basically should have been willing to pay for one and a half years of service of a guy when they were probably not going to be realistic contenders for the first half of the deal now i can understand there was some fans and i, I are very with me on twitter about oh well the mets were close last year but the thing was they had less than a 5% chance at the time of making the playoffs. What I didn't like about the deal was I didn't feel the Mets were the team to pay a price for one and a half years when they were essentially punting 0.5. Then. And I use punting loosely. I'm just saying I didn't, they were probably not going to make the playoffs. So why pay 1.5 years worth of price for really one year? And the problem I've had with a lot of the moves that Brody makes is – the Mets, I don't feel, analyze themselves when they make these kind of moves. And this kind of ties into where we brought up the GMs before, right, in the sense of I feel that a good GM needs to be able to look at his team and be honest about it and needs to be able to say, are we really contenders or are we not? And I feel like the Mets, ever since Brody came in, and I know you and I disagree on this part, I don't feel that they have been honest with themselves. For example, with Cano and Diaz, he comes in the door, the Mets last year were not a second baseman who is on the decline. Who you had to think these are supposed to be the two good years. Now he's been fine this year, but the injuries are something that's going to pop up. And a closer, a closer is a luxury. Like like, unless you're really contending, I, I don't. I think a closer is an absolute luxury. I think any team that's bad uh, that has a closer should trade them. Uh, that's just personally me. I think it, it's you know it, it's uh, basically you know having. Uh, paying for rims on a you know 1975 broken down car, but like so, I just feel the Mets have just not been honest about where they are and what the upside of this team has been since Brody came in. Where I think the prudent move he should have done is look at the team, let it play for a year. Yeah, bring up Alonso, let Dom get reps, let McNeil. Take a year to find out what you have in the system and then go from there rather than just come in right off the bat and say, hey, we're going to give $20 million to a declining Robinson Cano. We're going to trade for this uh, uh, you know, reliever who had one good year. We're going to go get Stroman for a year and a half when half of the deal, um, you know, ha- he might not make all that much of a difference. So those are the types of things, you know, we're going to give up six prospects to try and get one backup outfielder. I mean, the, the infatuation Brody has with the defensive out, don't understand it. I mean, you can just sign those types of guys off the waiver wire and stuff all the time, So, or claim guys. That, so, you know well, some I'm of saying, those but... I think
1: are 40-man roster. I think some of those are 40-man roster situations where you look, you can maybe criticize the 40-man roster maneuvering. They're like, well, I have this guy. I have to put them on the 40-man. And part of that now is you can't leave guys in the minors. They'll t- be taken in the Rule 5 draft. I mean, managing a 40-man roster is a lot harder today than uh, back – I remember the first time the Mets took a Rule 5 draft pick was Doug Simons back in 1991 from the Twins, and they kept him on the roster all year. I know Sandy Alderson had that one year he had uh, Beato on the on the roster. So it, it, got, it started to change. But what you're saying about Brody, it's not unfair, but here's where, and it even ties into the Mookie Betts situation. I'm looking at Mookie Betts here, 26 years old, and they got some nice prospects. I don't understand with, with Bogarts, with some of the young players they have, yeah, are you going to compete this year with the Yankees? They're a slow-pitch softball team, the Red Sox. They're not competing with anybody. But with their money, with their power, with, their, with the kind of ownership they have, there's no reason why you couldn't sign Betts. Continue to keep him as a core player. Now, maybe Betts doesn't want to be in Boston for a lot of reasons. I could see why, you know, maybe he doesn't want to be in Boston anymore. I could see that. Maybe they knew that, and we don't know that, and that's why he was dealt. But I don't understand why you'd give him up. And then if you look at the Mets, with the clock ticking on starting pitching, you either have two choices. You rip that thing apart, which would be so – it would be horrible to, to rip that apart without competing and trying to maximize it. Or you go forward with it, and he went forward with it. The easy thing to do is rebuild. Because you could always say, wait till next year. The hard thing to do is to go for it. And I think that's where he gets criticized, but he should be applauded. He's doing the hard thing. Now, should he have taken a step back on the farm system? Anytime you go into a job, I think you should take a step back and spend a year to evaluate. I think the new owner should do the same thing. I don't think he should come in and fumigate the place. Like, I don't know if you're an Entourage fan. I don't want him to do an Ari Gold come in with the paint gun and start shooting people and get him out of the office when he when he takes over. If you don't know that, that scene, I apologize. It's an old scene from an old shit show. Um, but um, you know that wasn't the situation he was put into. There was some critical thinking, and I think that's the part that nobody brings up. The situation was you're either going to rip it apart and trade all this pitching, which you would have probably got fifty cents on the dollar for the deals that were being offered for Degrom, were a joke, or you go for it. I think that's the better option. I mean, how would you like to look back and have the regret and say, "Well, we weren't that far off." Now you want to make the owners and the payroll and the money and the f- cash flow. Uh, that's, you know, that's any GM. That would have been anybody that would have had to deal with that. But that was my point. I don't know why you – other than Mookie Betts not wanting to be there, why couldn't he be part of the solution in the next three to four years? The Red Sox aren't going to be bad for five years if they don't want to be. Correct? I mean, did well, you see a situation where the Red Sox can turn around? They did it in 2013. They went like this. With a I, think, the finger.
0: I think this is completely different because I think if you look at the state of the roster – they have Bogarts, they have Devers, Verdugo looks like a nice piece, but what do they have after that? Like, the rotation is in shambles. They have a bullpen that has guys you've never even – I mean, seriously, I'm watching some of these Yankee Red Sox games. They're bringing in guys that oh, might as well, I might as well have gone to high school with. Like, these are guys I've never heard of who are coming in for them. I, I think I think this is going to be an actual rebuild in Boston. I do. Uh, I don't think that they are, like, signing a J.D. Martinez away from, like, you know, uh, that, that time they did, sure. like, you know – I don't think so, but here, here's a seven my year
1: deal with, uh, with bets. I think that he could be part of the solution if he wants. Well, um,
0: well first of all, Mike, I, I agree with you on that one hundred percent. I think Boston, I think I've always thought that the big advantages of being a team in a big market are supposed to be, you can go after the star players when like teams like the Royals really can't and you can fill out the margins on your roster better. I've always thought those are the two advantages that teams had now. Um, Having said that, for example, and I know you're you you criticize him. But that's one thing I think you have to give Cashman credit for is Cashman fills out the edge of his roster very well. Um, And I thought that's always what separates a good GM is basically, what does he have beyond the star players? Now, we could look at differently. Rizzo does it differently. Rizzo has always been a guy who Rizzo builds up his top 10, basically, that says, like, I'm my top 10 players are going to be better than yours. Then the Nationals have a little bit of depth problems, but the Nationals usually have 10, like, stu- you know, studs. Under, I, I use studs right. loosely in this thing. Like, right. I'm not saying 10 of the top 20, but good they usually player, have 10 really very, good very good players. So there's different ways, but I've always thought a, a, a GM with money could fill out their roster better than other teams. He, here is my question, and, and this is the what like I said, people probably want to hear us discuss this because they've seen me ask you this plenty of times. What I don't understand, and I get what you're saying with Brody. You know what? When you look at it strictly from that perspective of what you say, there is merit to what you are saying. I I will give you that, the whole idea of, you know what, Uh, as a sports fan, I would rather have my team go for it every year, even if we don't make it. You know what? I respect that. Ultimately, as you have said, that it, this is a business. Uh, this is also it's business, but it's also entertainment from a fan's perspective. I have I have no qualms with 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 fans that want to see their team go for it every year. That say, hey, I watch this for fun. I really don't want to watch rebuild. I I do that. Well, I I respect that as a fan. Now I disagree a little bit. I think you should be. I mean, which I'm sure you realize. I would rather teams be honest because I think if you want to have long-term annual contention i think you need to be honest with yourself as an organization um, but the question i have me and you have, and all are going back we've been able to end it what i don't get is why are you so hesitant to criticize brody for some of his moves which have not panned out and, and i'll give you an example right now right like the cano Diaz trade now I know you're not big in the prospects, so so even just take away the Kellenic aspect of it. But when you look at the way this Mets team is currently constructed, and I had this discussion with someone on Twitter last night, look at how much has changed in the last year in the sense of Dom Smith suddenly looks like a star. Now, is Dom Smith going to keep up a 1200 OPS? No, he's not. But suddenly, Dom Smith looks like a guy where the last two years you maybe wondered, hey, do we? is he a bust? Is he not? Does his bat fit to suddenly Dom Smith looks like a guy, honestly. And I say this, and I'm not trying to say this is like flavor of the week. The Mets yeah, probably nice should to. play Smith at first. No, no. Uh, the point I'm about to say the Mets should probably start looking into giving Alonzo some more DH at bats. If, if their defense is so bad, they should probably try and get Dom in the field at first base as much as they can, especially if Pete's not going to be, is not hitting like he is. But then you look at a guy like Jimenez where, yeah, I don't think Jimenez is a star. I think he's probably playing a little over his head right now. But Jimenez is certainly a very nice piece to have. Then you look at a guy like Davis. Davis looks like he's a keeper. Then you have McNeil. So what do you do with all those guys when you have Cano eating up the either the DH spot or the second base moving forward? You can't play all those guys. Now, you can trade one of them, and maybe that's what they'll ultimately do, but I mean, if you just look at it, even from a, if you want to even take away the going for a not for that, having Cano on the payroll the next three years at $20 million just clogs up because when Cano's done is when Dom Smith will hit free agency, when uh, I think McNeil will be at the end of uh, his arbitration, same thing with like Alonzo. So, I, I, like I said, just getting at the crux of it, Why I don't understand why you're so hesitant to criticize Brody for some of these moves which, even if you like the attention behind it or, or, or the idea behind it, just have not worked out and have kind of set the franchise back a little bit.
1: Well, you just answered the question. I can't, I can't be a phony and criticize process. If I'm going to support a thoughts process, um, I'm not here saying, okay, now in hindsight, would I do that deal today? Cano and Diaz for Kelnick uh, at all? I, of course I would think twice about it. Um, but At this point, I have to say the guy's been on the job not even two years really. Uh, He took it October of 2018, and think about this. And part of me is where the soft spot comes into play. I got to give the guy credit, and maybe I'm looking at this way differently than you are. Maybe that's where the gap is. Guy comes from one side of the industry to another, takes a lot of guts. He gave up a lot of money. Unless there's an ownership piece in this whole thing, he gave up a lot of annuity annuity money taking this job. I don't know why he did it for this aggravation. But being an agent isn't easy. We know that. He was running CAA. People act like he was just some guy running a bodega on the side of uh, Queens Boulevard. He's running a division of a major sports agency. Um, what other GM Matt has had as much uh, scrutiny and adversity when they came in? Um, media doesn't like him off the bat because it wasn't their preferred choice. Um
0: See, but Mike, uh, that's not fair to say. Come on, Mike. Look, I tell him not to be rough. R- Mike, that's not region. fair. That is not. That's, that's not true. fair, Mike.
1: It's, they didn't like him. It's not fair. Hold on. Hold on. Information hold information too, so they're going to be upset with him.
0: Hold that's on. Fair. Hold on. Hold you on. Hold game on, game Mike. 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 I can tell you this. Oh, hold on. I can tell you, you this. Uh, what? Who covered? What? What? What do you say? I didn't
1: say you had. I didn't say you had a grudge. I said there were members of the media that had grudges against Brody. There was a lot of low blows taken, including at your old place of employment, Yahoo. They took a very low blow article, which I remember very vividly about where he lived and his wealth. But go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: Well, that would be uh, well. I live. My parents live in the same okay. county as, as Brody, so that that so so you I I am a big fan you, of. You didn't what? write the articles. I said
1: I didn't. Well, say you wrote I, the no, articles. I said I'm
0: a very big fan of I'm a very big fan of Fairfield County. I, I give Brody a. Uh, Brody and uh, Cashman, too, because he lives in a county. I give them uh, very much props for the county that they have chosen to live in. Uh, best county in the world, in my opinion. But anyway, um, that's not fair to say, though, Mike. Nobody came in. I mean, listen, I, I know the guys on the beat. None of them, none of the men and women on that beat, none of them came in saying, oh, I hate Brody. There's nothing like that. I know it's See, easy from to From a more national post-
1: perspective, I think. More of a national perspective, I think he got
0: more – Lack of, but is there okay? Let's but but let's look let's look at this critically though. Is there not reason to be suspect or to question the way the Mets went in when when you look at their hiring process? And the hiring process was they had a former GM in Melvin, who a lot of people were not that high on because they said, well, he hasn't been a GM, and how long has the you know is the game different than when he did? Hein Bloom who I think the Mets should have ultimately hired, and Brody, an agent who is friends with the owner, who basically, if you look at it, and I mean, this is not being saying anything that is unfair. If you look at the Mets roster, the Mets are built through CAA. Now, certain teams have, in the same way the Nationals are basically built through Boris clients, the Mets are built through CAA clients. Look at it. It's Cano, it's DeGrom, it's Cespedes. Like, the Mets have a a tendency to sign Waka. The Mets have a tendency to sign CAA guys. I mean, that's just kind of the, the way it goes.
1: The relationship so, aspect just plays into it, sure.
0: Sure. So I think there's reason to be critical that people look at it and say, uh, with all the bright young minds in this game, and, and I'm not saying Bro Brody isn't isn't bright. You don't get to where he did in the agent game if, if you know uh, if if you're a dummy. Brody is is a smart man, but when you look at all these young baseball executives for the Mets to decide, you know what, we're in a position, we're going to go outside the box and hire an agent, especially at a juncture where they had to make a very important call, as you alluded to. I mean, and, and hey, like I said, the Mets had a tough call to make where they basically could say, all right, do we want to rebuild? Do we want to go for it? Or do we want to kind of stand pat and take a year? Maybe, like I said, maybe standing pat for a year wasn't the best of options. I think they probably should have done that because – do I think the Mets needed a full rebuild? No, but I think they needed to – personally, I think they need to take the why don't we take a year, see where we are, analyze if we can make some trades and go from there. I don't I, – I, I don't think that – I. they didn't need to tank completely. Like when I say full rebuild, I'm thinking of teams that are like, all right, we're going to go win 60 games. I think the Mets needed to – I think the Mets should have probably – entertain trading some of those pitchers more than they did. But anyway, I think the criticism of Brody comes from the fact of the Mets had options to sign people who have run teams before and decided that they were going to go with an agent. Now, you brought up a, a fair point before, that, or, or you brought up a point that I think, and this is where the criticism of Brody comes. You mentioned before, running a 40-man roster is tough. Like, Like, I'll say this. I think it is a lot easier for the New York Knicks to hire a former CAA agent as their GM than it is baseball because running a 40-man roster is tough. Uh, It is not easy to be able to do all those moves. And I think that's where sometimes you see the issues with Brody in that, for example, let's look at last year. He gave up three prospects. Now, even if you want to say none of those guys have turned out to be all that much for Keon Broxton. Now, Keon Broxton had one good year in 2018 as like a fourth outfielder. But again, part of being a GM, in my opinion, is you need to know when and where to use prospects to get stuff. You need to know basically, it's like, uh, you know, it's currency. And using three prospects in that deal to get Keon Broxton, then using another two this year to get Jake Marisnick of all people, then using another one. Now, I understand the Humphrey situation is different. That was DFAing, trying to get something, when rather get something than nothing. But you look at that and you say, he's used six prospects in the last year plus just on the same player, on the Marisnik broxton And that's where I think people can look at it and criticize and say, See, when you're hiring an agent who's never been a GM, you have him using six prospects to go get Keon Broxton and Jake Marisnyk. Well, you know what? Maybe those six prospects could have helped you land somebody at the deadline at a different time. Maybe if you have those six guys – You could use them in a different deal. Maybe instead of giving up Woods-Richardson, you could give up two of those guys. And that's where I think some of the criticism comes from. You're turning over your department to a guy who has never operated within a front office hierarchy before.
1: And he's the guy that makes the decision, so he's the guy in the hot seat. But you also have other guys in there. You know, He's brought in, to give him credit— uh, he's been players first, like he promised. You know, Pete Alonso doesn't get a chance to start the season with other teams. Andres Jimenez doesn't sniff the big leagues with most teams this year because they're going to save him for, for arbitration purposes. Um, he's brought in guys like Jared Banner and Al Baird from Boston, guys who were respected when, we were that, when they were with those teams. And think about this. Well, if you want to be real oh, cynical, what?
0: Mike, hey, 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 let me say this. If you want to be real cynical here, the Mets bringing up Jimenez in the year the owners are selling the team I'm just saying, if you want to be real cynical, well, there you could tie two or two together.
1: I mean, you could, you know, they could say the same thing with Matthew Allen and and Alvarez. They're bringing him up. I know there's the fear that they're going to trade them away. And look, if he makes a crazy deadline deal, let's say he goes for Trevor Bauer, let's say, which I don't think would be a good fit in New York, as much as I think he's a good pitcher, very bad fit with the media in New York. I do not think
0: Trevor uh-huh. Bauer will handle New York well. Personally, I, I think it's
1: not even yeah, right. It would be a bad move. But let's say he does that for a win-now okay. move, I'll criticize it because now that's being a Riverboat gambler and you're, you're, you're going the tightrope without a, a net. I don't think he'll do that. Look, that's a legitimate concern with the, the owners selling. They can do whatever the hell they want. But what other GM has had the most adversity in their first two years in the job? Uh, pandemic. Two elite pitchers going down, one on the opt-out. Uh, a manager that was forced on him uh, uh, that he had to fire. Uh, I mean he had to keep the manager that was part of the deal. He hires a manager who gets fired and uh, you could make the argument that whole situation was overblown with the signs dealing. If you really want to talk about it. If the Yankees with, with the, the what,
0: wait what was overblown the I'm sorry I didn't hear it.
1: The, the sign stealing was overblown because the Yankees were the victim, and they made it out to be a bigger deal than what it was because everybody was doing it with technology. It was inevitable that technology was going to be a problem. I mean you never sat at, at the stadium, saw a guy with an iPad before an at bat looking at the, 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 the footage, and you never thought to yourself, this is going to go bad one day. I did, but I just said, uh, eh, well, they know what they're doing. So that you know, you could make the argument. Well, Mike, I
0: think do. I think you're. Uh, listen, I understand you're. I understand you're not a Yankees fan. I, I understand that. I think that's a little harsh it to was say. A mess,
1: I if mean, the victim it would not have been as big of a deal if it was any other team in baseball that wasn't on the back end. And add in the fact that Houston added to their own issues by being insensitive to the media during the World Series. All that made the sign stealing become a big.
0: Well, deal. they were I cheating, guess. though. I mean, I mean, I understand. We can they never, we can they discuss, never, no one
1: paid attention to it.
0: No we can that. discuss, but he we can discuss here.
1: He got, but, he got criticized. He got criticized for an event that had nothing to do with him and the Met. They actually looped him in and say, well, how did he not know? Well, you know, they talked to Beltron. I didn't see anybody really dive into that science thing when Beltron was being interviewed. All of a sudden, oh, well, Brody should have known. What, he has a crystal ball? He should have known about the pandemic, too? Well, shouldn't you, he? You know, you look,
0: you know? Mike, those are two. Come on. That's not fair there to say that because. I mean listen I I'll say this any I mean I, you know I criticize Brody as much as anybody even I know you, the pandemic thing with Strowman. to criticize Brody on that would be dumb because they, like he he didn't know so there, there's nothing there but the 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 Beltron thing is a completely fair question if you're interviewing someone for a job at your company and they're brought up in a like a scandal like let's say you were at a, a, a let's say I'll I'll just break it up just cuz he's uh, in the mix let's say you're 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 hiring someone at at, at Steve Cohen's firm and they're involved in, like, insider right. trading rumors at another place. Aren't you going to ask that guy and say, hey, what's the deal on this? If I um, if I hire you, are you going to be going to jail for insider trading? Like, y- you should ask right. somebody that during an interview.
1: And I think they did, and he probably and, – and if you really look at, and I bet you as you dive further into that, he was involved. He probably was involved more than – they made it out to be bigger with him than I, than I b- believe he, he was – he was a sacrificial lamb, um, and and I think that when they looked at it at that point, they were like, "Well, this will never get bigger than it is," and all of a sudden it did. I mean, you and I know he wanted AJ Hinch; he just couldn't get AJ Hinch. I mean, that's – AJ
0: Hinch was in his AJ Hinch was in his wedding. I mean, yeah, those two have relationship. I mean, AJ
1: Hinch, and imagine. I mean, that would have been funny if they allowed him. I bet you, Houston, if they knew what was going on, they would have allowed him out of that contract. And they would have foisted him on the Mets, and it would have even been worse. But think about it: had a hire, rehire a manager, the pandemic, the Callaway situation, the ownership situation. What other GM has come into that? They got to give the guy credit there. That's a lot on but, someone's plate. Uh, isn't and that? But, Heim but that. I don't think Heinbloom can handle that. He, he didn't but really, isn't he that Mike? Me a lot during, during the the hiring of Boston here, it was like he looked like a deer in the headlights with the whole uh, Renicki stuff. To be honest, but, but
0: isn't this and that's just isn't this in some ways though like you know what you're
1: getting into like That's like a lot, done so many I mean you know what you're getting into in New York I mean I don't think anybody could have predicted when I when if I came to you in October of 2018 and said hey Matt this is what's going to happen in baseball in the Mets world Callaway the situation the chair situation Beltron uh, Rojas pandemic you would probably say what a kook. You, I
0: mean, you'd say this but but, uh, but but here's the but here's the thing Mike though. I, I don't criticize Brody for the manager thing. Like, like, I mean, maybe other people do, and I understand you were talking here, but, like, the Talk manager general, thing, I'm I, not I just don't... saying, yeah, I'm not saying just No, no, I, I understand what you're saying, uh, but 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 what, what I'm saying is, like, okay, we, when you get into a relationship with something, like, he knows what the Mets are like and what it's like to work for the Ponds and the stuff that's going on. Like, he knew that Mickey Calloway was the manager. Like, so, like, I don't think I really give him all that much credit for that or say, oh, it was adversity, because when you join the Mets, you know, I mean, listen, the Mets have a reputation around baseball. They do. It's not a good one. People look at the Mets a lot, and they just go, what the hell are they doing over in New York? So, like, I I think that, I mean, Brody knew what he was getting into. This wasn't like he he just joined organization and everything went to hell, like, like Brody knows this, this is kind of the way stuff happens with the Mets. And, and, you know, when he came in the manager stuff, he knew that was going, I mean, you know, you, you brought up Hein Bloom a few times. I, I mean, you know, the, the Ron uh, uh, Reineke situation with with manager, I mean, they know he's not the long-term manager. That's basically just, Hey, listen, we'll wait a year. We'll see what happened. We're not going to be all that good this year. So like, I, I just, I don't understand praising Brody for handling a situation where, I think, to be honest, if you look at it, you say, like, he, he was, he's so tight with Jeff that he, he knows what it's like to be with the Mets and all the dysfunction that's here.
1: And he took the job. So you got to give him credit for going and putting himself – but you got to – this is the thing I tell people. He, had, he was making a lot of money in a job that he probably had a pretty good handle on. He's running the department. He's doing this because he's taking on a challenge. You have to give a guy credit. that I don't think anybody – Sure, I, I give him point. yes.
2: I'm not he, he saying, deserves... look,
1: the prospect thing – you know, look, he, the fourth outfielder. I think those are good points. I'm sure, and he said that. I'm sure there are things he would do differently. And I think the only thing with Kelnick, and and, and, and no, everybody's got an opinion on that. If you have Nimo and Conforto, and if Kelnick's not a center fielder, which I don't know, I'm 100 sold he's a center fielder. Uh, you could argue they could have got a better return on him now. Certainly they could have, but they already got Kelnick in the corners with Nimmo and, and Conforto. Well,
0: what if, if Kelnick's going to be what be, what, what, what if? What if Kellnick's going to be better than them? I, I mean, let's be honest. Know, There's a possibility. It's hard
1: to say that. It's a possibility, but we don't know. My piece, I trust. to the poor guy's mom. I mean, uh, no other prospect. Does anybody talk about Fernando Tatis and what he was uh, acquired for? Does anybody talk about Trey Turner was acquired? Those are pretty bad deals too. I don't see anybody talking about that. Those are just as bad, if not worse. Actually, the Tatis Jr. deal is about as bad as it gets because you got James Shields, who had, was already declining at that point. Think about that. But
0: the, but, well, yeah, but, Mike, I think I think you're doing recency and location bias. Like, when the Trey Turner deal happened, I mean, San Diego got slaughtered for that deal. People were killing them at the time, saying, how could you give up, you know, or, or I'm forgetting what the it was a three-team deal. I forget. That was a really weird yeah. deal. with It had the Rays involved, yeah. and it had the – those other teams got killed. Or San Diego, I think, gave up Turner and got killed for that one. And also Chicago has gotten killed for that, that Tatis deal. I mean, I, I think the, the thing here is it's a recency bias and that it just happened in this market with Kelenic. But I, but I think, I think the reason, again, I think part of the reason those deals get looked at a little bit differently is because when you're a new GM and you've never been in, even in a front office before and your first deal, I mean, listen, here here's, here's the elephant in the room that has to, that has to be addressed with this whole thing. Does the Cano deal look different? Is it analyzed differently if Brody was not his former agent? And, and I have to be honest, I, think, I don't think, it is, I do not think it is wrong to tie the two in because does Brody push for that deal as much if Cano is not his former agent or his former client? I think the deal is looked at – I'll say this. I'll be honest. I think if you replace Robinson Cano with – I'm trying to think of a guy like – I'm just throwing this out here. I'm not saying the deal could have happened. It's just for hypothetical. If you If you replace Robinson Cano with Dustin Pedroia, let's just say healthy Dustin Pedroia mm-hmm. and Edwin Diaz, right. neither were clients of Brody. I think that deal is looked at 100% differently than it is about – acquiring a former client at that price and then everything that happened with it of him basically being foisted into the three hole all year. I think that when you look at it like that and the first deal happens and it's like, Oh, I'm going to go get my former client. I'm going to give up a top prospect. I think in a lot of ways, people have reason to look at Brody and be skeptical. And then I think when you have a move like the Stroman deal where you go, huh, you're paying a year and a half for a guy when you're really, maybe only going to compete for a year with him. That doesn't seem like the most sensible thing. Then you look at, like, the and deals and stuff. Then you look at Wheeler being let out the door. And I think there are a lot of instances where you can look at it and say, hey, it looks like the guy running the Mets right now is a little in over his head, has never done this before. You, you now.
1: can't blame them for passing on the Wheeler contract. I mean, he's just he's a high-risk guy with no. those mechanics.
0: I liked Wheeler.
1: I would love to, have but him. how is he? I'm but but here's
0: play. what I don't. But here's what I I, I not don't really get. Impressed
1: so far in Philly, to be honest with you. I looked at the peripherals; they're not great. Striking out three well, batters I mean, for nine innings. Not, you know that's not sustainable. We'll see today. Maybe he strikes out fifteen today, and I look like a clown when this comes out. I mean, it's possible. But, uh, I mean, but you know, Lowry, but, that was a proper move, Lowry. You know, everybody criticized the Mets. Oh, you're going to go into the season with an unproven player like McNeil, and they get Lowry, who was a top twenty-five offensive player the year before. Uh, you could say, where's the doctors on the, uh, 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 you know, with the injury? Who knows uh, how that went? Uh, they were hedging their bets, and it was a two year deal. It's loss of money. Uh, maybe, like you said, okay, because of the owners and because of the lack of uh, capital, you could have spent that better elsewhere. But at that time, if the Mets had went in with McNeil, the criticism would have been well, now you're assuming that a guy who had a, a good six weeks is going to be your guy. That's exactly what they criticized them a lot because of the the owners and finances well, for a long time and here's so you can't, you know, he, that thing, everybody smacks him around on both sides you can't do that you can't you got to be well, consistent and that's the whole thing but, i'm not i'm not saying but, that's you all the time i'm giving the whole the whole talking point here the whole talking well let me say guy. can i say let me
0: say this mike what why do you think he gets a lot of heat on lowry like certain signings don't work out listen i did not have a problem with lowry um the, in the baseball move. I actually thought it was, a, it was a good move. I mean, yes, if you look at back at it now and you could have the choice of him or LeMahieu again, it's not even a no-brainer. And but I remember
1: when you know I why... LeMahieu, at that time, before Brody was hired, I mentioned LeMahieu that summer. I got criticized. Well, he stinks, and he was. He was a below-league average hitter in Colorado. And, you know, very easily could have been the other way. That's all I'm saying.
0: I interrupted you. I well, so. but here's the, here's the thing. You I mean, you know the reason. Why does Brody catch so much heat for the Jed Lowry situation?
1: was just a CA client. But people actually believe Correct. that he's been like – I've heard people say, and I know this is more fan garbage. The guy is not getting a commission on the back end for putting a CA client. No, he that's, knows, that's, when that's, you know that's somebody, garbage. When you know somebody, when you know their character, when you know their makeup, when you have relationships in sports, you know this. You've covered the game a while now. It's very – just because you're a GM doesn't mean you pick up the phone. Matty Holt or Mike still is the GM of the Mets tomorrow. We pick up the phone, we may not get a call back from 29 teams there's no guarantee that we're going to get a call back why because of the Mets GM they don't know who we are or if we do get a call back they're going to have their knives sharpened on us it's like any other business we forget that we think because well they have this position immediately they'll look at us a certain way no way you're going to try to go with where you know and maybe that's short-sighted in the long run but at the time that's what it is and i think anybody would have used their relationships that way Whether behind blue,
0: right? But the question there is when you're when, but but this ties into what I said before. When you're an agent and you've never done this before, when this is your first go around at at it, and your first big moves are well, I'm going to trade for my former client. I'm going to sign my former client. Which reliever am I going to sign? Although I've heard that was an Omar move, uh, that does a Familia one. But it's like, oh, we're we're just going to bring back Familia uh, who we had here before. You look at the moves and you just say, well you're just signing all your former clients i i, I mean even i mean to be honest and, and again you can say this fairly or unfairly look at the guy they signed this off season i mean who did they go with they went with waka where did waka who represented waka caa there's so many CAA connections, you know. And, and then the other one, I, I mean, to be honest, what was the first move? Now, this one I have no problem with. But what was the first Bo- Brody's other first big move when he came in? He signed his former client to an extension. So if you look at a lot of the tea leaves, it's like, well, all the big moves the Mets make are basically his former clients. And most of them have not worked out except for DeGrom.
1: And and look, Batonson, that deal, we'll see how that works out. He's pitching better. That, not every GM could work that deal out. that was a complicated deal. I think there's advantages to having uh, an agent on that but what deal.
0: was, what, now, was so the, what was so complicated? What was so complicated about you had that? the
1: option he wasn't sold on the team. He went in there and he got the job job done. He went to the guy's office and he said, "I'm not leaving until I get this player away." That's the mindset. I'm not sure you have that. The last time you had that was Omar Manaya, and I'll tell you what. Omar Manaya did a lousy job because Omar Manaya wasn't a GM. he didn't know how to run an organization. But he wasn't bad at talent evaluation, and he's back even as awkward as that is. And normally that's that's the equivalent. Omar being back is like bringing Isaiah Thomas back to the Knicks as a talent evaluator, even though he would be a good one. But it's just awkward, but Omar's handled it well, and his issue was the people underneath him undermining him. He wasn't a bad GM in all aspects. I think that they look back on that. And in some ways, um, Sandy Alderson benefited from him. Uh, you, you just have to look at this. He has the mindset that they, they needed. They were. V- I don't think Sandy Alderson, because he was so conservative, maximized what could have been a, a different run post-2015. And I think he well, admitted the Murphy situation was a bad move. Um, I understand the money. I understand the money. But right away, he had a plan, and he was very rigid. And I think having a GM that has a little bit more of a, a relationship with the Players Association and the agents – uh, Sandy wasn't a beloved guy. You know this, Matt. I've heard enough. He's not a loved guy around the league. He's, uh, not an easy guy to get to. to you, you you interacted with him. He was sarcastic and condescending. You don't. Think but that he comes was respected by everybody. You could be respected. Doesn't mean you're going to get what you want out of that. I can respect you because you know. Uh, you think I'm going to pick up the phone when I know the guy's an ah on the other side? I don't know about that.
0: Sure, but uh, you know, I also heard from around the league from some people that when the Mets hired Brody and passed on Bloom, there were quite a few teams that were like, "Oh, okay, well, that's that's the best case scenario for us." So, you right. know, Brody I, I
1: also put not work with Boris. Remember that that narrative that was out there that that was dispelled
0: pretty quickly. well. Well, well, hold on, hold on, Mike. There's a difference between signing Boris draft clients and signing Boris's major league clients
1: do you, you know who the, the owner, one clients are, are, are going to have to involve the owner on that one? There's no way it's,
0: do you know be who, GM. right. But do you know who the only, the only Boris guy the Mets have had, uh, uh, since Brody came in? And I think this might be in like the last five years. Do you know who it is?
1: No, I don't. I I'd probably Carlos I Gomez. I... Huh? Huh?
0: I mean, there's a difference. Maybe... There's a difference between drafting Boris clients and, signing Boris clients but but but
1: oh, of and the assigning a major Boris client not a Carlos Gomez at the end of his career involves ownership without a doubt now now you know, i w- now
0: now, uh, now the one thing i will say in all this because because if i don't say this then 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 it's that it's me being hypocritical the one thing that needs to be said in all this is Jeff Wilpon is basically the GM of this team and he runs things behind the show. So the, the one thing that, that Brody does get a little bit of a pass on is Jeff is the, the G the real GM of this team. So it, ultimately at the end of the day, like I brought up Boston before um, where I said, you know, like um, Hein Bloom had to trade uh, Mookie Betts. Nothing happens without Jeff and Jeff has his fingers over almost everything in the organization. Now, Having said that, I do not give a Brody a pass on that because Brody knew what he was getting into because he has worked so many deals with Jeff that he knows how involved Jeff is and how Jeff likes to basically play GM. So, yes, you can't have any discussion about what happens with the Mets and the moves they make without talking about uh, the pons, but Brody also should have known better than anybody because of how many deals he's done with Jeff that Jeff, like I said, likes to play GM.
1: So then, on that point, you have a new owner coming in, and we'll 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 tie it together on this, because I want to hear your thoughts. New owner come in, we don't know if it's A Rod, we don't know if it's Cohen, maybe the guys down in Philly, um, who knows? I mean, you hear all sorts of different things. I all I ask is that the owner comes in with some cash flow, takes a step back, similar to what you said of, uh, with Brody. Maybe maybe Brody should have taken a slight step back. Let's see what you got. You have here, because not everything's bad here. You know, coming in and either doing one way, which is to get the front pages and sign a bunch of guys, which I don't think would happen with the kind of losses that they're facing in the next four years, at least reported. Um, What do you do? So, if you're, if you, who cares who the owner is, let's assume that they meet the criteria of a sensible owner. What do you think the direction now is for the next four years? Because if if it's to fire Brody, tear it up, and start over, again, now, you know, what do I need Steve Cohen to do that? I could have the to do that. Obviously I need the cash flow, but to me that's foolish. Just as foolish it would be just to sign people flippantly just because I want to get the front pages, which don't be surprised, if a cohen comes in, there's a guy with a big ego, don't think you're gonna get all of a sudden uh Red Sox two thousand four here. You might have other issues. Same with A Rod. New owners gonna to wanna to make a, a name for themselves. How do you think that the, what's the sensible, what's the right direction to go if you're running the Mets now going forward? Well, I'll
0: say this in terms of because because I'm sure you're tying this into Brody too is a lot with Brody. I is going to do do the Mets make or miss the playoffs this year? Um, because if the Mets miss the playoffs and an eight out of fifteen team league, um, he has they a sure very hard sell. I
1: don't think anybody. I don't think anybody should count this year for anything. Mike,
0: either. if you can't get in out of eight out of fifteen this year, I mean.
1: It's going to be all jumbled up. I agree. It's kind of a bad barred at me, but with what happened with the opt-outs and you don't know what the the scheduling is a little off. I I have a hard time, even with the positive giving a lot of credit or one way or the other, I think this is almost like extended spring training. That's me, but okay. Now I understand. I I I
0: understand. I actually think that's a very fair way to look at it. But when you're, when you've done so much to win now, like Brody and you don't win, mm -hmm. I think that puts you in a very tough spot. Um, He's on on the hot seat day one, that's for sure. Yes, yes. Um, So what do I think the – that's a good question. The prudent move for the Mets guy is. Um, Well, whoever it is is going to have to sign somebody because basically, like, I mean, if you just look on Twitter – I mean the way Steve Cohen is being treated. Uh, it, 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 if like if he comes in and it's just like, you know what, we're going to rebuild this. Th-, like like the fans, I, I think oh, the no, like no. literally the moment he signs, they're going to want him to say, oh yeah, and I just signed JT Riamuto for four hundred million, baby. Like they're going to want like you know that's some how you get in
1: trouble, uh, and that's how you, right. And that's my point. That's but but
0: there it. is, I do think there's going to be that pressure that whoever the new Mets guy is has to make some major signing this offseason. Um, I agree. I'll oh,
1: you real muto. You heard it here first. You could go back to this thing. Then you could give me your make culpa on Twitter when it happens.
0: There you go. Wait, when did I? But, but I. Why would I give you a me culpa for something that I said? I think I, I've always thought JT.
1: No, if Brody wins a World Series here in the next five years, that's when you'll give me your me culpa on Twitter.
0: Sure, if Brody wins a World Series, I, I have a lot of egg on my face. Uh, so if he does, I, I will glad. But uh, on the flip side, if he does not, which I think the odds are better that he does not, I expect a me culpa from you about the Brody Van Wagner era. But so here, but, but here, so here's where I look at the myth. And this is where i I think they're 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 a very interesting spot. I had said for a long time that the Mets window was closing. Now, I said this under the assumption the will ponds were still the owners because if you look at it, after this season, going into next year, um I believe it's all three of them, Syndergaard is a free agent after next year. Conforto is a free agent after next year. Mass is a free agent after next year. The Mets do not have a mm-hmm. catcher in place unless you want to go with Nito. And Nito actually looks good, but I don't think he's an everyday interesting. starter.
1: Interesting. So Catching what is going to be interesting because it's not an offensive position, and I think long-term, if you don't get Real Muto, you probably have to go defense-oriented and build your offense around it. But go ahead.
0: So my point is, the the Mets, my thought was always that The reason – I always looked at it and said the Mets had a window up until – with the way they went, with the trying to go for it. Now, I don't agree with the way Brody did with it. I think they could have done it differently. But I thought that the Mets, if they went for it, their window was through next year because that's when all the guys were under contract and relatively cheap. The issue is after next season, you start looking. Michael Conforto, even for for all of his flaws, which he you know he can be a streaky hitter at times. I understand the, the whole thing about he's not clutch, but he, he's a very good hitter. I, Michael Conforto does not get enough love from from Mets fans, not honestly. That, not that opinion. far
1: off from Bryce Hopper. Not that far off from Bryce Hopper who got a ten year deal. he, Did he really? He, he's the a very he,
0: Michael Conforto is going to get paid. So suddenly you are going to have a guy who was not making that much, who's suddenly going to be a 15 to $20 million player. Then you start looking at Syndergaard. Syndergaard is going to get paid. Like, the, 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 you know, maybe maybe Syndergaard is not the ace that everybody thought he was, which is, you know, hey, that happens. It's like, but like the what, is, the what is Syndergaard at his worst? A number three at his worst? Noah Syndergaard is going to get paid by somebody who says, we'll get him out of New York, we'll get him here, will get his head on straight, and everything will be good. So Noah Syndergaard is going to get paid if the Mets want to keep him. Then you look at a guy, Matt's I I have no clue what is going on. Because, I, I mean, last night I was watching that. I was flipping between that and the Yankee game granted they they hit some balls a little bit hard and the Phillies lineup is inconsistent, but like, I have no idea what's going on there because Max is not this bad. Um, even I can say that as someone who's critical to Mets like Max does not stink, but I have no idea what's going on right now that he can't get anybody out. I don't know if it's in his head. I don't know if it's Hefner is trying something with him that doesn't work. Although it seemed to work last night. The the issue was you, you can't walk McCutcheon there. I mean McCutcheon, nope. McCutcheon's like an automatic out. You can't walk that guy on three two. So you gotta. He, I know he tried to challenge him with a fastball and I'll he missed. But conditions. like, yeah. He, he, but I have no idea what's going on there, and I don't know what his long term future is. But the whole point is, and then the year after that, I believe the year after that, Lugo's a free agent. Um, is Lugo going to stay here when he's made it clear he wants to be a starter? Now, maybe next year the Mets say, all right, Seth, here's your chance. But, I mean, literally they just had somebody go down and they said, all right, we're going with Gazelman. I mean, if a guy wants to start in an organization, we'll give him the chance. Like, I, I just find it hard to believe he's going to want to, you know, that I find it hard to believe that's where a guy's going to stay um, long term. So then you have. He could be out the door. Then you look at Nimo. I mean Nimmo's a fascinating ca- Nimmo's a fascinating case because he gets on base all the time but doesn't really hit for power, but like so is he like a a lesser version of Nick Swisher? Like I'm I'm trying to think of like like and I say that like Nick Swisher was a good player for, for quite a few years. Like like component like, know, player, yeah. Like, like, and I say that. Like, Nick Swisher was a good player on those Yankee teams in the in the, the '09s. Like, like, I, I, Brandon Nimmo is another guy. It's funny. I, 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 think Brandon Nimmo does not get the proper love from Mets fans. I mean, listen, we could talk about his 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 on his hitting, his home runs, and all that. The guy gets on base forty five percent. I, I said it last night. I was, I was watching the game. Um, and my mother's a big Mets fan, and I was watching it. And, and I said this watching the that. I always amazed watching Nimmo at bats. What happens? And and they brought this up on the broadcast that it's like teams never challenge him. Like, Nimmo does not swing that much, that I think, but teams challenge, like, they you just watch these at bats and guys just miss the zone on him completely. And I'm like, he doesn't swing that much and he's not a homer threat. It's just, it's incredible that he how he gets on base. I mean, but anyway, so he's going to be – so I think the question is, that the Mets have to basically make is – and this is part of the problem where I, – I, I, and this is a Jeff problem. This is not a Brody problem because I'm assuming – I'm, I'm actually going to give Brody the benefit of the doubt on this one as an agent and assume that he knows, hey, Jeff, we should be locking up some of these guys. But all right, so if you're the new Mets owner – the Mets already have Cano's on the payroll at twenty million dollars a year. Uh, you have Degrom is on the payroll uh, at twenty million dollars a year. Well, let's start looking at the other. Let's let's I, I'll, I'll I'll throw you a bone here. Let's say they come in and the new guy says, "All right, we're getting Rio Muto. I don't care. I'll pay him seven for two ten or something. I'll, I'll 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 break the mark a thing." Okay, so let's say they get Rio Muto. So suddenly the Mets have Degrom, uh, set, uh, Cano, and Rio Muto on the payroll. At I'll just estimate roughly eighty five million. Okay, so. Let's assume the payroll's going up. Okay, well, what do you do with Conforto, who's going to want $20 million a year? What do you do with Syndergaard, who's going to want $20 million in a year or two? How do you start suddenly building that roster out where you suddenly start becoming very top-heavy in the sense that, let's say you say, all right, well, we want to re-sign Conforto. Okay, well, now you're at four players making $100 million. Well, we want to re-sign Syndergaard. Well, now you're at five players making $120 million how do the Mets fill out kind of the rest of that roster uh, with some of the guys that they have? That's the questions that I think are going to be very prudent is the Mets have to kind of make the determination of, who, are they keeping some of these guys? Are they not keeping? What are they? I mean, let's look at the rotation. I mean, there is a conceivable chance that right now the, the only guy in this, uh, well, Peterson, I mean, if you look at it in a year or two, the, the only guy who's under contract for the rotation beyond this uh, next season are Peterson and Degrom. I mean, that's nope. not like like like. But Degrom by that point is going to be, I think, thirty four. Which I mean, not saying he won't still be an elite pitcher, but Degrom is he's out in of his in the back, years, back
1: end of his prime.
0: He's starting to get he's to the back, the back end of his of his back end of his nine. So, I think that the question is basically is like the new owner is going to have to come in. He's going to have to make a call on the GM if things go south this year. But then he basically has to determine about. What are we doing with this roster that we have now? Which we have some good pieces, but these guys are not cheap anymore. That guy, the guys I just mentioned, that your best reliever Lugo could be looking for his way out. I mean, hey, at the same time, Diaz, Diaz after I believe because this was Diaz Diaz's first ARB year, uh, I believe. So Diaz in two years is a free agent. So like, so, so so. the new agent is going to have to make – or the new GM, or owner is going to have to make a lot of tough calls on where does this franchise go and who are the guys sticking around. Because the one thing the Mets have done, I think, a really bad job of, they should have signed or extended a lot of these guys. Now, I understand it takes two to tango. I, I do get that. But, like, this is where I look at the Wheeler situation where I say the Mets screwed that up, and I don't think Brody handled it properly because Wheeler was open to re-signing. Now, he wasn't going to take a discount, but if the Mets had gone to Wheeler, I think, and given him a fair, like, five for 85 deal or something like something like that, I think there's a chance he possibly takes that. I mean, I don't think Wheeler – talking to people around the league, I don't think Wheeler thought he was getting $100 million. I think once he got that, it was, oh, my God, I'm taking that. But like, I don't think yeah, Wheeler no necess- necessarily. So I think if the Mets had maybe jumped on it earlier, could they have gotten Wheeler for five for eighty-five? I think that was a. Um, they might have been able to get him a
1: three-year deal. They might have been. Um, I think he wanted. I think. DeVolge I think. Vol- I think he, he wanted. Is what Evolgi was? I looked at. I think he's a in that. Mid, but he probably wanted a four eighty. Probably right, four eighty on that. I looked at Wheeler
0: been- and said. Th- I said this, I looked at Evaldi and said, that's the baseline. So if Evaldi got four for 68, Wheeler was at least getting four for more than that. That's why I said, I think if you did like five for 85, but the Mets have not done a good job of locking up their their, their, you know, their young talent. So I think that's kind of going to be the thing is the the next owner is going to basically have to decide, all right, who are the guys here that we're going to try and build around the next real Mets winner um, assuming everything goes right. And who are the guys that we're not, because if not, like, if you're not going to re-sign Conforto, well, then you have to make the tough call of, would you rather – like, this is like the the Mookie Betts situation. Like, let's say you know you're not going to re-sign Conforto. Let's say the Mets are just like, you know what, he's going to cost too much. We want to go in a different direction. Well, then you run into the thing of, do you just hold on to him and get the third-round draft pick like the Mets did this year with Wheeler? Or do you try and trade him a year in advance to a team that can maybe re-sign him and say – you know what? We'd rather get the we'd rather get the better players for a player we're not going to resign. So, those are I, I think the new owner is going to have some very interesting questions about how do you start building this team out now that all the guys that used to be cheap and that you could build around are no longer going to be cheap or are no longer going
1: to be here. Fun spirited debate. So, Matt, uh, NBC Sports Regional Network, my teams out. Anything you got? uh for the listeners to know about things you got coming up uh what have you before we uh wrap up here
0: yeah i'd say uh it, i mean this is all met fans but if you ever uh if you live in the philly area or if you live in the dc you ever want to watch the game on NBC sports we have a great app uh you know very easy way watch to the watch the game on NBC. you can watch you can on yes NBC it, too. that's what i'm saying in if you don't have s and you're in the philly region or in the dc region uh, you can watch there if you like watching the Cubs, the White Sox. I think a very clean app, nice, to, you know, uh, easy to stream the game on. So, uh, you know, the, that's uh, uh, that's my plug for, for you know, the uh, NBC marketing stuff.
1: we will be fun. We'll continue the debate on Twitter. We'll have you on again. Thanks so much. You were very generous on a Sunday. I know it's a long segment, but it was fun. Thanks, Matt. We'll talk again soon, my friend, all right?
0: Thanks for having me, Mike. Have a nice day.
1: That's Matty Holt. NBC Sports Regional Network, former beat reporter for the Mets, very long situation, very long uh, conversation. I thought it was fun, Uh, always like to have fun, and and it's more polite than people thought. I know I saw people on Twitter act like we're going to yell and scream. That's not how I do things here. Debate is good. People saying opposite of me is good. All right, we'll wrap up. I know we've gone very long. We'll wrap up, quick wrap up right after this. and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, final thoughts. Uh, look, uh, always enjoy a good debate. And look, some of the feedback I've gotten on this program has been that I always bring guys on or guests on that are, you know, pretty much the same thought process, not all the time. And lately, with Mancuso and his thoughts on the. Uh, league restarting amidst the pandemic and now I am trying to get those who have a different opinion than what I spew on here to give the balance out there and we'll continue to try to do that and uh, it could be very friendly I mean sometimes you know obviously Matt and I go at it on Twitter nothing personal I don't agree with him Uh, as I'm recording this I see he's going uh, you know almost like he's going off having some fun about the Mets getting swept by the Phillies. Look, he has his opinion. He's been consistent about how he feels about rebuilding and the Mets' position uh, where they were when Brody Van Wagenen took over and what have you, and I have mine. And I still believe, whoever the ownership group is, and there's a lot of thought that A-Rod is the favorite, we'll see if that becomes a good thing or a bad thing, that when they come in, things are just going to be torn up and start over, and that's just not smart. That's not smart for anybody to do. It, just like Matt said, maybe Brody should have taken a step back that first six months taking the job with his uh, prospects. He decided to be a little bit more aggressive, obviously uh, relying, I think, on Omar Minaya a lot. I think Omar had a lot to do with a lot of what you saw there in those early days. Um, same thing goes for an owner. Take a step back. See what you have. The Mets have worked hard over the last couple of years to you know, rebuild their analytics department, rebuild their farm system, Uh, Baseball America seems to think they're improving. They're up to, what, number 20, if that matters to you guys. It was just recently talked about over on Mets' blog. They pointed it out. Um, Don't go crazy about results this year. I know, again, that's different than what I normally say. This is going to be wacky. You're going to see a wacky team make the playoffs. I think you're going to see wacky results in the playoffs. I do not think, in the history of baseball, the results in this season will go down as a banner year. And I don't know if anybody is going to take them and say, well, that was the year... That so-and-so turned it around. Uh, a year to remember. It's not going to be the Royals in 2015 or, uh, you know, the Phillies look back at their 1980 championship or their 2008 championship. It won't be like the 86 Mets. It won't be like the 96 Yankees. It's just not. I'm sorry. So use the season as a chance to win, have fun, compete, you know, almost like a tournament. But it's really about what is the best position to be in for 2021. New ownership. Hopefully Brody's still in his team, still at the helm. And you have a lot of answers about some of the players that are on the roster now that can make up the 2021 Mets with a better starting rotation or a healthier starting rotation, I should say. Because at the very least you have one option, high-end option, coming back hopefully with uh, Syndergaard coming back from Tommy John and then potentially re-signing Stroman if that's something that's even on the table. So... You know, we'll talk more about that. All right, we're out of time. I want to thank Matt Holt for uh, joining me. You can check out Matt on Twitter, at Matt Holt. Great debate on Twitter. Go follow him on Twitter. And uh, the NBC Sports uh, Regional Network app, My Team's app. You could get the Mets on there too. So check out the NBC Sports app if you're uh, at a market and want to watch some Mets baseball. Of course, you could check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me personally, Mike Silva at talking No G. Mike Silva at talking I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy your Sunday. We'll be back with another edition of the podcast next week. Till then, take care everybody.